Well, Brian, you should try getting introduced sometime. <laughs> it's unusual. By the way, coming here, having lived in Virginia, Northern Virginia for a time, eat your heart out, D.C. You're not the only place in this country with a West Wing. Isn't that neat? <laughs> well, anyway, it's, uh, it's nice to be with you. You know, I've, I've been quipping that the brethren have been trying to get me to move from Waukesha or retire for three years. And uh, aren't you glad I didn't do it before now? Because I wouldn't be here if I had. It's, it's, it's nice. I'm looking forward to getting acquainted with you. Two things. One, I have a hard time getting people straight in their names. So I may ask you more than once, uh, who did you say you are? <laughs> it's just a quirk, and it's been around for years. And the other thing is, I don't want you to have unrealistic expectations. You know how I put my shirts on? One sleeve at a time, just like you. <laughs> anyway, uh, somebody quipped the other day, uh, Pastor Swanningson, who's going to be here preaching later this summer for EAA weekend, he said, every pastor, every preacher answers everyone's prayers and makes everyone happy. Some when you come, some while you're there, and the rest when you leave. So, <laughs> Now, uh, pastors, whoops, hang on just a minute, let's get a different script here. Uh, hang on a minute here. If it deleted it, I'm going to be in trouble, but I don't think it did. Well, you know what? We're going to go from memory if this is the case. This is one of life's embarrassing little moments. Leave it to electronics, right? Well, we are in memory, folks. <laughs> okay. Do you follow the news? If you do, you know... Ten minutes of that stuff's enough to depress you for a week, isn't it? And if it's if it's international, how many places are just a mess? Egypt is one of those. Uh, within the last week, week and a half, Yahoo had uh, an item they picked up from ABC News. It was called Dispatch from Cairo, the Frighteningly Uncertain Future of Christians in Egypt. The fellow who authored this lives in Cairo. I think he's Turkish, and he says, I am an inactive Christian. Now, he writes, usually Christians and Muslims tend to live side by side in peace. But he said, lately, violence has been escalating. That's my term, not his. Um, he said, last month, now, when I say cops, it's not C-O-P-S, it's C-O-P-T-S. It's the Coptic believers, all right? Um, some, some police 
and Muslim youth got together and they decided to storm the compound of the largest Coptic church in Cairo with guns and tear gas. And what happened, they ended up killing two of the Coptic believers. Kind of tragic. And he says, it's a miracle that there weren't more that were killed. Now, back in 2011... Uh, in the fall, that's about, uh, what, a year and a half ago now from here, um, he said that, let's see if I can find it here. Oh, let me, let me quote him. Okay, intercommunal violence has only grown since the revolution. And security forces generally seen here as a force for secularism and moderation have increasingly taken the lead in murdering cops. In October 2011, when the military was still officially running Egypt, army personnel supported by plainclothes thugs killed 28 Christians during a protest. End of quote. Whew. Doesn't that sound exactly like what Jesus said? was going to be happening to his believers. Take your Bible and find John 14, would you? Jesus had a way of giving encouragement, and he encouraged his people. Now, John 14 through 17 are the chapters that were Jesus' final words to his believers that night in the upper room, because by the next night, he would be in the grave. And so he, he wanted, his concern was for them. Do you remember sometime earlier, he spoke very pointedly to the crowd, and they, they said, out of here, and off they went. And he, at that point, turned to the disciples, and he said, are you going to leave too? And Peter said, kind of shrugging his shoulders, as I picture, he said, where are we going to go? Only you have the words of truth. So his concern was for them. Were they going to stay with him? Now, we have a saying, when the going gets tough, what? A tough get going. Well, he knew prophecy completely, didn't he? He knew the Bible just like the palm of the sand very, very well. He knew what it said was going to be happening, and he also knew what it said was going to be happening to them. Furthermore, he was very prophetic. He could see into the future. He sees your future. Did you know that? From the very beginning, he saw the whole thing, including the end. And God is very concerned with us, and Jesus was with them at that point. Well, Jesus was concerned that when it got really tough, how would these fellows handle it? Would they? Well, John 14, verse 1, is a reference you probably memorized. Let not your Say it with me. Let not your hearts be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again. And receive you unto myself, that what? Where I am, there ye may be also. Now look down at verse 27. 
What does it say there? The middle. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. In plain English, what is he saying? Don't worry. Why? Because he's in charge. At least he is if you invite him to be, right? Don't worry. Now, one of the things he did was give them a heads up on all that was going to be happening to them. And then he finished and he said, now I've told you all of this so that when it happens, you'll know I told you ahead of time. Now, you take the story of Zacchaeus. What did he do to see Jesus since he was vertically challenged? He climbed that sycamore tree, right? Now, I don't know that I can see a sycamore tree, but they say in Jericho it's the, st- the same tree is still there growing. When we were on the tour a few years ago, they didn't stop because the tour guide said, it's too dangerous for you to get off the bus here. Isn't that tragic? Well, anyhow, if the Lord arranged that tree to be planted and start growing at the point in which it would be needed when Jesus came through, big enough so Zacchaeus could climb it, don't you think he can take care of you? Sure he can. Don't worry. He is in charge. Now, exactly what's going to be happening, we're going to be getting to that. Now, chapter 15 Verse 18, it says, he said this to them, If the world hates you, know that it's hated me first. If you are the world, the world would love you as its own, but because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world what? What tense is that? It's present. In other words, they were being hated right then. Isn't that tragic? But he knew all about it, right? Did Jesus know hate? Oh, did he ever hate it for jealousy? And because the people liked listening to him? Now, who does that remind you of? Hint, go back in time. To before time. Who got jealous of the son? Lucifer. And it made a demon out of him, didn't it? Turned him into Satan. Same spirit operating again. Should we be surprised if that happens to us? I don't think so. Anyhow, he said, if, verse 19, if you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, Therefore, the world hates you. Remember the word that I said to you, a servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, what? They're going to get you as well. If they kept my word, they'll also keep yours. But all these things they will do to you on account of my name because, what does he say now? Because they do not know him who sent me. Could that be why people act up and treat each other the way they do? They just don't know God. Hmm. Go down to chapter 16 
and verse 3. He says it again. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. Hmm. You know the classic example of that is Saul of Tarsus. Now, boy, he could strut his stuff. I was trained by who? Gamaliel. And they still consider him one of the greatest rabbis that ever lived. I was trained by Gamaliel. I'm really something. He was the poster boy of the Pharisaical party. Now, how many, were they Sabbath keepers? We had us. We, they were something. They had hundreds of rules, and Saul had them down perfect, and boy, that he kept them all. I mean, nobody did it better than him. Were they tithers? Oh, yes, they were tithers. How about their diet? What kind of cuisine did they eat? Oh, they wouldn't have swallowed a fly, would they? Anyhow, well, but what was his attitude toward Jesus and his believers? He went around breathing, threatening, kill him, kill, kill, kill. Whoa. One day, just outside of Damascus, an incredibly bright light knocked him flat. And this way, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? Who are you, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. I don't know if that was the first time he saw him, but it was the first time he saw him like that. He said, I want you to get up, and I want you to go into the city, and there it'll be told you what to do. And so, when the light faded away, Saul is blind. Now, he was that way for how long? Three days. Right. I wonder if there's something about that three. But anyway, God who could do anything left him blind. Why did he do that instead of something different? I think he was telling him something. Saul, this is you. You are spiritually blind. God does interesting things like that at times. Anyhow, so during this time, He's not eating, he's not drinking, and I think he's talking to God big time and he's thinking in his mind about all those verses that he memorized and knew. And three days later, here comes brother Ananias walking on eggshells. Why? Lord, I heard about that guy. Are you sure you want? Okay. (laughs) He comes in. He baptizes him. And Saul gets his sight back. And he called him Brother Saul. Now, did Saul quit keeping the Sabbath then? No, he still kept the Sabbath. What about tithing? Do you think he still paid tithe? Probably. What about his diet? He started eating pork? No, I don't think so. In other words, folks, nothing changed except... He no longer was breathing out threatenings and slaughter. Why? What made the difference? He had come to know whom? Jesus. He'd come to know Jesus. His whole picture of God had changed. And I think about this. Jesus said, they're going to do all of this because what? They don't know the Father or me. 
Could it be that Jesus has given us the solution to the ills of the world and to broken relationships if we would simply know the Lord? Could that be? Now, it's interesting. Uh, Aren't we Sabbath keepers? Well, at least we used to keep the Sabbath. We had a Pentecostal minister and his wife living in their travel trailer in our backyard for a time. And when they put it there, I said to myself, hmm, it's not whether, it's when. Sure enough, one sunny morning, we're sitting out on the, on the picnic table bench, and the subject of the day came up. Now, his name was John, like mine, and he could get a little grumpy at times. And, oh, he got grumpy that morning. <coughs> we keep Sunday. We keep Sunday. And I said, John, do you really? I've been watching Sunday keepers. They get up in the morning and they have their coffee and go out and get a paper and read it. And then they finally show up to church. And then after church, you got the dinner. And they either go home and work in the yard or watch the game or they go to the links. They spend the rest of the day doing exactly what they want. Are you sure that's keeping a day? <laughs> I shouldn't have done that to that poor fella. <laughs> You're right. We don't keep Sunday. We just go to church Sunday. <laughs> but you know what I've seen? That's becoming the way too many Seventh-day Adventists relate to the Sabbath, isn't that? We need to remember the Sabbath day to... Keep it holy. Now, we are Sabbath keepers. How about tithers? Now, you would applaud this, Brother Brian. (laughs) Thank you for that introduction. Yes, at least we ought to be. You know, I heard about a pastor who called this young lady. She was not coming to church, but every week they got a check from her for tithe. And he said, this is unusual. She said, well, I don't want to go to church. I have no interest in that, but I've learned something. I can't survive if I don't pay tithe. And if I do, financially, everything is super. So you're going to keep hearing from me. He said, well, bless your heart, but we'd like to meet you. I don't know what happened. I suspect they eventually got them together, her and the church family. But, you know, tithing is something we still do, isn't it? Should anyway. How about our diet? Well, we're being studied by Loma Linda right now, the second time around, AHS2. And it's interesting how more and more we're coming in the health spotlight, and that's wonderful. Do you think, folks, we have the potential in us of turning out to be someone like Saul started, breathing out threatenings and slaughter? then for us the solution is the same as it was for Saul, to get to know God and his son, right? Could it be? Well, I've thought about that, and I've said to myself, I think what I want to do in a preaching ministry while I'm here with you is I want to give you an opportunity page by page in the photo album of the scriptures to get to know God. 
And I want to give you picture number one for your photo album today. All right? In chapter 16 here, down toward the end of the chapter, about three quarters of the way through, verse 25, pick it up. This is interesting. He said, I have said these things to you in figures of speech. The hour is coming when I'll no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. In that day, you will ask in my name. Now, let me stop for just a minute. What do we call Jesus in terms of sanctuary? We call him a priest, right? Priests intercede, right? I remember as a kid. One night, you know when you're bored, you know, parents, when are your kids in trouble? When they're noisy? When you don't hear a sound, you know, uh (laughs) uh-oh. Well, it was one of those nights, I was down at the dairy bar a block away from town, and a couple of guys were talking about Wayne and another guy going out to the gravel pit to camp overnight. And somebody said, let's go scare them. Okay, well, it just happened a couple of older kids had wheels. They happened to be there. Hop in! Suckers. We got in, and they took us out there. We couldn't find them. And these guys took off running, slammed the doors, yelled, So long, suckers! And off they went. And here we are about two and a half, three miles out of town. I didn't have a watch on, so I didn't know what time was, but... You know, what those guys did, they turned around and came back and they tried to hit us. And we had to dive into the the uh, side of the road and uh, they did this several times. So it got to the point where when we saw headlights, you know what we did? We dove. Well, finally they slowed down and stopped. They said, hop in, we'll take. Well, what they did, they took us much closer to town up a side road and said, okay, get out. Well, we weren't going to, but they persuaded us to. And I hopped on the back of the car because, dumb, stupid kid. I hopped on the back of the car because I wasn't about walking all that way. Well, when I went to get off, it was going faster than I thought. My feet couldn't keep them, and so I went rolling. Well, the guys tried to catch me, but I was not to be found. So they went back to the dairy bar and were crowing about their evening of fun with the rest of the kids in town. And you know who was sitting there listening to all of this? My father. Well, my dad had a way of raising his voice. <laughs> Whoa. Well, remember that term, raising his voice. Finally, we figured those guys got tired, so two of us, we were just walking along the road. And we got to the corner heading into town, and a car stopped and backed up. And a guy put a window down, and he says, are you so-and-so and John Glass? And we said, yeah. He says, you guys better get in. So we got in, and he looked at me, and he says, John, your father's pretty upset. You better let me take you home. Now, what was he being? An intermediary, Right? Well, he, he, t- he pulled up in front of the uh, dairy bar, and I got out of the car, and my father, who was still inside, spotted me through the window. And next thing I knew, I'm going down Main Street like this, and somebody yelling at the top of his voice at me. I never did that again. 
But I, I remember thinking, where'd that guy go? He was going to take me home. <laughs> you know, God prefers speaking quietly, doesn't he? Remember when Elijah was running away from Jezebel? At, anybody here ever name your daughter Jezebel? I never heard of one, but whoa. Anyhow, he's, he ends up in a cave out in the middle of nowhere. And what started happening? Oh, earthquake. A cyclone, I think, which is a desert tornado. Rocks were breaking. Whoa. And it sounded like the mountain blew its stack as a volcano or something. Awful lot of commotion and noise. And what does the Bible say about all of that? The Lord wasn't in any of it. And after all of that noise, a quiet voice saying, Elijah, what are you doing here? (laughs) That's the way the Lord prefers to speak. But, like this lady walks in, sits down, and the lady sitting next to her looks very troubled. And finally she looks at her and says, Is the noise in my head bothering you? <laughs> and so she got up and left. And of course you and I would too. Well anyhow, when Israel came out of Egypt to Mount Sinai, there was so much Egyptian noise in their head, they couldn't hear what God was trying to say. So, He had to turn up the volume. And that's why at the top of that mountain, there was thunder and lightning and thick black clouds. And the place was shaken and the people were scared to death. And they they fell before Moses. Moses, please don't let him talk to us. You talk to us from now on or we'll die if he... And Moses smiled and said, fellas, this is silly. You don't need to be afraid of God. He's just checking you out. Well, God would prefer the quiet voice. Come, let us, what? Reason together. Though your skins are like scarlet, I'll make them white as snow. That's just the way God is with all of us. Loves us, wouldn't hurt us, wouldn't hurt a flea. Anyway, so when they got the sanctuary set up, where did Aaron and his sons come from? Well, they were going to be what? Priests or intercessors. Somebody, John, I better take you home. Intercessors. And that's where the idea of priestly intercession came from. But it wasn't really what the Lord wanted. Now, don't we picture in heaven where where Jesus comes to his father and says, Hello, son. Hello, dad. What's up? Well, so-and-so is back, did it again, and he's confessed it and wants to be forgiven. And I thought I'd ask you if you're willing to forgive him. Well, son, you know this over and over and over again. It's kind of making a travesty out of forgiveness, isn't it? But dad, you know, he means so well. I know. But, you know, isn't there a limit, son? Dad, will you do it for me, please? Oh, son. Dad, please. Son, he'll be back tomorrow again. You know that. Dad, all that aside, please, for me. Son, you know I love you. You're hard to tell no to. 
I know, Dad. Will you? All right. But when you come back tomorrow, you're going to be in a very untenable situation. Thanks, Dad. Now, isn't this what we picture going on up there? Sure it is. Let's read now what he said. These are the words of Jesus. All right. In verse 26, in that day you will ask in my name, and I'll say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf. Why? For the Father himself loves you. In other words, do we have to go through Jesus? No. We don't need an intercessor in that regard. We can go directly to the Father. Jesus said he didn't need to ask for us because the Father himself loves us. Now, for little brothers, big sisters are the crabgrass in the lawn of their life. Right? Billy had a big sister, Janie, and they lived in the city, and every summer got so hot and sticky, dad and mom would say, oh, go to the farm and enjoy grandma all summer. It's cooler out there. So they had a grand time. Not as grand as grandma had, but, well, the summer had just about gone. Time to go back to the city. And one afternoon, Billy doesn't know what to do with himself. And he, Janie's on the front lawn, sitting, swinging her dolly in the swing. You know, one of those old swings they used to have. And, and he got to think, oh, he'd heard stories about dad's slingshot. And dad had done some things with his slingshot that shouldn't have been done. And grandpa had confiscated it, never to be seen again. Hmm, I don't think Grandpa would have destroyed it. Well, he went looking and found it. He tried the Well, it was old rubber, but it looked like it was. So he checked on his big sister crabgrass just to make sure she was still swinging her dolly back. And he went to the back of the barn, and on one end of the barn was a bushel basket full of old tin cans and glass jars. He said a section, about a knee-high section of stump, big stump. And so he thought, perfect. And so he, he started from the other end, practicing, hitting. And he began to get pretty good. Well, he finally decided he would, he would uh, put one of the glass jars up, put it on the stump, and he walked all the way to the other end of the barn, and he got the stone in it, and he started pulling back. And at that point, two other things are happening. Big sister has been hearing funny noises, and she's sneaking. And on the other end of the barn, Grandma had this pet goose. Was waddling in the direction of the corner, just around of which is you know what. And so three things happened at one time. Goosey put her head around that corner. Janie put her head around this corner. Billy is pulled back as far as he could, and she yells, "Billy!" And he missed the wrong thing. Bonk, and the 
goose is over. <gasps> Billy, you killed Grandma's pet goose. Oh, Janie, have you had young? And they ran and looked. Poor thing has expired. You're in trouble now. And off she flounces. Well, he looked and he didn't know what to do. And he, he, he found a shovel. But the ground was awful hard. It took a long time. But he got that goose buried and put the shovel back. But you can cover up the goose. But how do you cover up the misdeed? He had to get some cooperation. And so he comes out. And there's Janie swinging that dolly. And the wagon is sitting there. You won't tell Grandma, will you, Janie? Pull me while I think about it. Oh, boy. So he pulls around the arm. I'm not done thinking. Pull me some more. Oh, boy. That started several days of absolute misery for the little brother. And finally... About three days later, he did everything. He worked all day long. He did all the chores. Janie was getting off scot-free. Well, where was Grandma? We'll see in a minute. Well, he comes out of the house and too late spotted her. And she says, Billy, I want a ride. Pull me. He says, oh, pull yourself. I'll tell Grandma. I'll tell. You will? And he thought, I might as well. This is misery. So he went to the kitchen. Grandma was making apple pie. Grandma, what, Billy? I got something to tell you. Well, tell me. And she sat down and took him close, put her armor on him, and with tears, the whole story came tumbling out, and she wiped his ears with her apron and gave him a big hug and said, Billy, I was at the neighbor's that day. And as I was coming back, what what can you see from the neighbors? <gasps> the back of the barn. Billy, I saw it all happen. And you know what? I forgave you the minute it happened. And I've been waiting all this time for you to come so I could tell you, you're forgiven. <gasps> oh, Grandma! He gave her a big hug and kiss and she said, Now go tell your sister I want to talk to her. (laughs) And Billy went charging out. That's God, folks, isn't it? He saw it all. He forgave you the minute he saw it. He loves you. You don't need somebody twisting his arm off. Well, this time maybe, but not. No, 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 no. Those are false pictures of God. I want you to have a true picture of God. Because it will change you so much. You'll never be the same again. And you'll be so excited you can hardly wait to tell somebody else about this marvelous God sitting in heaven. Let's sing to him, shall we? Let's sing to this God who is so forgiving, so accepting, so loving that you don't need somebody twisting his arm or neck. Question, if Jesus is not twisting the Father's arm, then what is he doing up there? Listen in closing. We have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. We don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, 
but one who in every respect had been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Jesus is our representative before the Father as they devise the most massive help, mercy, grace, support for struggling sinners to make it. Amen. I want to complete conclude with a text from the book of Job, or um, Jude. I'm sorry, Jude. Now, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. Amen.